a lot of trying to kill the product in my old company to say like if it if it dies it's meant to die and it didn't die people continued to want it so then my journey became how can I actually build a company that can build this solution for the world Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Joe Thurman, co-founder and CEO of IA, a human resources SaaS platform with a mission to reduce turnover while increasing diversity in the workplace. Using deep learning intelligence amplification technology, the platform provides a unique and improved hiring process. Joe has over 15 years of experience in the human resources technology space, having founded three companies prior to IA. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Emily. It's so great to have you in the office. We're so excited. Um, so tell me, because we haven't discussed this, I know you're close since you're here actually in the studio, but are you originally from Denver? Close to a native. So okay. grew up here. I've been here since I was three years old. I was born on the East Coast. My okay. dad was in the Air Force and got stationed in NORAD, so space systems, and that brought us to Colorado and it's been home ever since. I've always been fascinated by NORAD. I know you probably can't tell me anything about it because that's what NORAD is, right? Yeah. Super secret. Tell you, someone would have to kill you, not me, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it's not worth it to ask. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So tell me where you went to school. Let's get started there. Yeah, so I uh, I went to school in Colorado Springs, um, grew up there, obviously went to high school through there, and I took actually a pretty modest route through college. So I had a full-ride scholarship to go to CU to play football. Um, life ended up taking me a different direction, so I went to Colorado Tech and just went into technology and started to go into work and started to go into the field of software and hardware. And um, yeah, so I, I really just put myself through tech school, uh, and that's my journey's a little different. I love that. Yeah. I'm actually a big football fan, so. Yeah. Well, it was fun while it lasted. (laughs) (laughs) I ran uh, cross country and track in college, so I understand the challenges of the whole student athlete balancing act. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Awesome. So then you got your start there with the software and technology. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit first about Interview IA. Yeah. So Interview IA, as you mentioned in the intro, is a... SaaS software solution focused on changing the hiring workflow. So we basically build interview processes. We build all of the, um, we, we construct a more objective way for you to manage that whole process. If you think of all of the different data points that happen when you're interviewing someone, the different people that touch the process, the, as we call questions, the different prompts that insert themselves into the process and all of the data that you could create um, to have a more objective process. There's not an easy way to do that. People use spreadsheets, people use notepads, and so we end up with subjective decisions or biased decisions. And so in this repeat process, we found a way to apply technology to it that helps to drive to more objective, inclusive decisions that drive for better hiring across any organization. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So how did you make the transition from computer science to HR? Yeah, good question. Um, so, <laughs> do you know? <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, 
you know, I was on the hardware side primarily, and I realized that I didn't like trying to figure out why one computer wouldn't talk to another computer. I didn't like spending hours doing that. I guess I'd rather spend hours trying to figure out why one person won't talk to another person. And I ended up in the human capital side of it, like staffing, basically building software teams, building hardware teams. A big client was uh, the Department of Energy, and so working oh, wow. with them to build up their technology organization. And so I really got into the people business and my journey just continued down that path. And being a technologist, I always tried to find different ways that you can improve process and put more repeatability into it. But yeah, the journey started with um, staying technically focused, but leaning into human capital. Awesome. So prior to interview IA though, this was not your first company that you founded. Correct. There were three, is that correct, prior? Well, yeah. Technically three. (laughs) Yeah, the first one did not go very well. (laughs) It was called Insure My Stuff with an E. Okay, I see that on my notes. Please tell us about Insure My Stuff. (laughs) We just did some digging. (laughs) The internet. You can find anything on the internet. There you go. So yeah, Insure My Stuff. I mean, there were living in Colorado. You know, there's there are natural disasters such as fires and things like that, and hail. Hail. Yeah. But with fires, we've had. I mean, California's still going through it, but. there were many, many years where a lot of individuals lost a lot in the fires. And um, insurance at the time was not focused on replacing things that you didn't, that you couldn't prove that you owned. Smartphones were not as smart, so people didn't have photos and documentation of everything. And so early on, it was imagined if you could have home inventory in the cloud. And I learned a lot from that, right? We built the technology kind of in a bubble, believing we knew what was right, and we launched out to the market. We got press, like we got written about. Obviously, you found it somewhere. <laughs> um, but it, we didn't build what the market needed. We built what we thought the market needed. And what that taught me as an entrepreneur was don't be afraid to show your work. Don't feel like you have to show up perfect, right? If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be able to show up vulnerable, and you have to have thick skin and you have to put things out into the world before they're ready for someone to tell you how great or how beautiful or how ugly it is, right? Because when you build in that bubble, um, it's generally not right because you're just so close to it. So yeah, that was the first one that uh, it, it was hard to come back from because I really put a lot of time and effort into that. Um, it was outside of the scope of talent, but it was definitely in the tech space. And then I jumped back into the industry that I no. And so launched a company called Jobber Group, and it was talent strategy going into the C-suite, helping them build strategies around how to attract, engage, and retain the right people that can build your organization. Okay. So that seems like a natural progression then a little bit to interview IA. Yes. A okay. little bit more than you, insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the insurance one, was that your first time thinking, okay, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm an entrepreneur? Or was there a particular moment you realized that you had you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Do you feel like you always were at heart? Yeah, I don't have the, I mean, I did the same things as, you know, anyone cut the grass, do that stuff, but I don't have that story of from the time I was two, I launched a thing and I sold like these coins for a million dollars. I don't have that story. Right. But I do have that, um, you know, from the time I was 15, I had a real job. You know, I got, it was back when work permits were a real thing and you would go get them and I got a job on Peterson Air Force Base working in an office. So, like from the time I was very young, I loved business. And I think my love for business and then my belief in I just have a belief in betting on yourself. It's just how I'm wired. Those two things blend together. Make an entrepreneur. Make an entrepreneur. Yep. 
So, All yeah. right. Well, that makes sense then. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, let's do a little bit of a deeper dive into Interview IA. And can you tell me, was there a particular moment in time or something that happened to you personally or to someone you know? Like, what was the catalyst for creating this platform? For creating Interview IA itself, the current company that I run. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting story. You know, we, um, I, I, under Jobber Group, my old company, I built the first version of this technology and I hacked it together in a WordPress site. You know, back to the lessons learned from my other venture, it didn't need to be perfect. And I took that and I presented it to the person who at the time was the president of a 5,000 person company on a tablet in WordPress saying, if we built this, would you use it? And it was interesting because we got a lot of yeses, we got a lot of um, desire for people to use that, but at the time I was running a service company and it's very, very difficult to pivot. What you'll hear, and it took me several years to actually make that pivot, I met with investors and otherwise, and a lot of companies die between moving from a service company to a product company. And so it took a lot of personal development, a lot of figuring out does the market really need this, um, a lot of trying to kill the product in my old company to say like if it if it dies it's meant to die and it didn't die people continued to want it so then my journey became how can i actually build a company that can build this solution for the world and that was a very very long journey so that pivotal moment was i think multiple moments of um you know, the initial MVP to trying to kill it and something that just would not die, that lets you know that the market you're does want this and you're onto something. Yeah. And that was not an overnight aha, which I think is why the investors that do invest in us and that back us like what we're doing, because it's not some idea that we came up with overnight in a basement. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you guys are really focused on diversity. Yeah, I mean, at the core, you know, over the years, I as someone who has always appreciated work. Um, and then also work is a huge part of society, right? Um, it's how we, it's where a lot of people find purpose. Um, but it's also where a lot of people lose purpose. And so not everyone's wired to be an entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean that everyone can't wake up every day and be in a role where they find some alignment of purpose and passion. and. I have a dream of making that possible. And that unfortunately, the hiring process, the interview process stands in the way of many people getting that opportunity, right? Because you went to the wrong school or because unfortunately, still in society, you're the wrong gender or you believe the wrong thing or whatever that is. And that prevents people from getting into those roles when we rely on a subjective process versus actually looking at the data that could show that this person would be a great fit for the, for the organization. Because it's so hard, even, you know, myself, I've had resumes, and it's so hard to portray yourself on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. That's that's not who you really are as a person. It's just a piece of paper. It's yeah. a summary of who you are, but they don't get to know really who you are. Totally, totally. You know? and, and the reality is interviewers, so hiring managers within companies, that's their second job. Like, they're not professionally trained interviewers. They, even if they've done That's it a hundred times, it's their second job. Their primary job is leading sales or leading whatever it is that they're doing. And their second job has an element of stress because there's uncertainty. My job is to analyze someone in a finite amount of time and make a high-stakes decision for my company. Yet we don't arm them to do that in a meaningful way. And so what do they rely on? They rely on something that does give them comfort, and that's 
their memory, their experience, you could sum it up into their conscious and unconscious biases that then say someone who's like me can probably do this job like I do. And that pushes out everyone who is not like them who could also do that job. And so it's really, it's not um, intentional. It's the byproduct of just the status quo that this is how we do that. This is how we hire and it's time to change. So it sounds like you're interested in behaviors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So also in our deep diving, we found something very cool in my opinion. Okay. Okay. Tell me about the deep space predictive (laughs) and what that is. Because we did some research and it looks awesome. Yes. So UB, our co-founder. Okay. I was going to get to that too. (laughs) <laughs> Tying it all together there you here. Go. Yes. Um, I've known Yubi for, for a very long time. Um, he is CMO, but probably also um, chief evangelist. Um, and he is a rare breed. He, he dreams, you know, of things that could be a universal way yet his feet are on the ground. He's an executor. He does things. But he gets us into opportunities that are very, very interesting. And so Deep Space Predictive is really a group that's looking at the human side of what would it take to build manned missions to outer space, right? And there's a lot of things that are going into the science of it. But when you think of it takes a very strong team, team dynamics, the right people to achieve big tasks. And if going to other planets and other um, places outside of our outside of Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pretty big task, right? And so, yes, it's the human side of um, doing something monumental. It's so cool. So you were on the board there, is that right? Correct. Yeah. That's awesome. And you've also done a couple of cool other things. You're a volunteer, it appears. Yeah, so I was on the board of A Plus Colorado, um, and that was really just uh, looking at trying to evolve the education system, you know, and, and how do we move that forward? Uh, and then also Colorado Technology Association um, on that board. And I just born, joined the board of Colorado Inclusive Economy as well. Awesome. And then what about kids tech? Yeah, kids tech, I mean, it's the same thing. It's the next generation of how do we prepare the next generation for having an impact in this world? Uh, there's a lot of things that the next generation has to deal with that we didn't have to deal with. And um, technology is both a positive and a negative on society. And so it's not an easy thing to solve for, but just thinking through, you know, how can we what expose- What that looks like for them. Yeah, what that looks like for them. And also how do you expose people to things at an early age? Um, you believe things are possible because you see it. And if people grow up in an environment where they don't see uh, the opportunities that exist in technology and they think that you have to be, I don't know, an Elon Musk or someone to be a technologist, when that's not true. You know, there are millions of jobs out there where people make an amazing living and they touch technology without ever writing code or ever doing anything like that. So exposure creates a mindset that can change someone's trajectory in life. Speaking of changing trajectories, what advice would you have for somebody looking to change their career choice or change industries similarly to how you did? Yeah, I mean, I... I give a very simple piece of advice. I used to, part of my career was in executive placement. So I was <laughs> late 20s and advising COOs, CEOs on the next step in their career. It was a very interesting time for me because I'm like, what do I know, right? <laughs> <That's great>. um, <laughs> but why do these people want to spend time with me talking about life? But it really is about that. And 
I just, I would always simplify to say, if you don't see yourself doing this for the next five years, then why are you doing it for the next five weeks? Because in reality, unless there, and there are reasons, well, because my shares vest in two years, well, then do it for another two, two years. Right. But beyond that, the only thing, and this is not to be cliche, but the only thing we don't have and cannot create more of is time. And so career is nothing more than you leasing your time to someone else. Um, and there's an old quote that says, if you don't go after your dream, someone else will hire you to help them go after theirs. So I like that's powerful. Either go after your dream mm -hmm. or just understand that you're leasing part of your life to help someone else go after theirs, which is okay. But everything has a season and a time. And the only thing that you don't want to do in life is look back and say, what if I would have tried this two years earlier? What if I would have tried this three years earlier. You can't get those three years back. Yeah. As someone who's a pretty cautious person in most, eh, every aspect of my life, Okay. what would you say to somebody who's like, okay, I want to make the change, but I'm afraid. What if this doesn't work? Especially an entrepreneur, right? Like, what if it doesn't work? What if I get rejected? What do I do if it doesn't work? My answer is, what's the worst that could happen if it doesn't work? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's... That's true, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Because when you really sum it up you know the worst that could happen is you, you go back to, to what you were doing you go back to what you yeah. were doing or there's some financial impact and you have to drive a different kind of car or any you have to make sacrifice of some sort so if you sum up the worst that could happen is i have to sacrifice something then the next question is are you willing to sacrifice that and if the answer is no then there's your decision you've chosen that you're going to sacrifice time and stay in the other thing that you're doing because that's where you're at in life right now so ultimately how do you summarize the risk that you're willing to take. And if you do that exercise, you may realize that you're actually willing to take that risk. Hey, it's Sam, the producer of the show. I just wanted to take a quick second to thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Sliced Podcast. Coming up, Joe talks to Emily about how the journey of being an entrepreneur is sacrifice and about the future of the interview process. As a founder yourself, do you feel like for you personally, there's been a lot of sacrifice? Yes. Uh, the journey of an entrepreneur is sacrifice. I mean, people, people see the glamorous side, people see the articles that are written about money you raise or things that you do, um, but they don't see all of the hours and the moments that are in the middle of that or that led up to that. Um, it's it's a life of sacrifice and reward, and I think that you have to accept that. What was your experience like fundraising? Because you, you mentioned you were interested in the business side. That came easily to you. So did fundraising come easily to you? Were you comfortable being in those environments, pitching, or was that a challenge? Pitching wasn't a challenge um, because I'm passionate about what we do and I'm knowledgeable in what we do. So pitching was not a challenge. Fundraising was a challenge. Um, I, but I also had prepared myself for it to be an extreme challenge. And it didn't end up being an extreme challenge, but I think it's timely. Like we were, we were raising at a time where uh, people are leaning into the future of work. If we would have tried to raise money for this three years ago, I think it would have been extremely challenging. So I think there's an element of whether you want to call it luck or timing or whatever you want to look at that has to apply to when you do the things that you do and when you try to do that, raising money is very, very difficult. But um, it was rewarding. It wasn't extremely hard. It was hard. Yeah. 
So not hard enough to deter somebody from doing it. Well, you maybe (laughs) maybe yeah. You have to you have to determine. Do you need to raise money? Um, And and you need to have a clear answer that it's either yes or no. Um, If it's maybe, then it's no. Um, You should only raise money when it is a when it's in, impeding your progress like, and you cannot work around that. So in software, sometimes that's just the case. You have to raise money in order to create the product that will then create the upside. But it is very, very hard and there will be many opportunities where you question, should I stop raising money? And if the answer, if you actually have that option, then you shouldn't be raising money anyway. And that's a blanket statement that is not 100% true, but it's one of those things you have to commit to. Um, because you will want to stop <laughs> many, many times. At one point or another, yeah. yeah. Are there any thoughts you'd like to share kind of on SaaS as an industry, software as an industry? Do you see any trends emerging? Yeah. Um, I think that we are – so obviously Salesforce was one of the leaders or is the leader in the current world of SaaS. They – uh, Mark Benioff led the way in thinking about how do companies buy software. I believe the next trend is how low into the organization can you take the purchasing decision. So that's where product-led growth comes from. It's been around for a long time, but now you look at why did Salesforce buy Slack? Salesforce bought Slack because an individual person within a company can decide to use Slack in a meaningful way which means they've lowered the bar to who they have to earn as a customer in order to continue to grow up throughout that organization. So that's one point of maturity is how low can you go into the organization for a buying decision. That's one of the reasons that investors um, that backed us did. It's because we are taking a novel approach in how do you sell into HR, and it's not top-down. You can also sell into the business and and have that same product-led mindset. The other angle that I think is growing is... B to B to C. So the connection of enterprise software with, let's call it for sake of simplicity, a crowdsourcing element. So you have a B to B solution that also touches consumer in some way. And I think there is going to be a large trend of software that lives and is purchased primarily by business. So business to business. But then there's an element of business to business to consumer that is the force multiplier for that, where consumers actually reap more, um, actually have a, get, gain a lot of value from that product and may also be paying the same business enterprise. So we see that in HR, right? Who owns the data? Does the company own the data? Does the person own the data? We see that in financials. Does the bank? Does the individual? We see that in healthcare. Who owns your information? So now you have entities that are SaaS that sit in the middle that serve information to a hospital, but it's your and my information. Will we pay to protect that information as well and decide who it gets distributed to? So if you think of the B to B to C connection, I do think that there's some future of where SaaS goes that has mm-hmm. that connection. Where do you see interview IA going? And then second half of this question, do you see yourself founding another company? Well, I'm in the middle of founding a current one right okay. now, so not a new one. No, not a new okay. one. Okay. Oh, interview. Okay. That's, yeah, I'm okay. pretty much all consumed at the moment. <laughs> I thought we were getting like a real no. scoop of something new you were working yes, on. Yes, it's called um, Insure My Stuff 2.0. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will 
There you go. You should yeah. be a customer. I would love to. Um, but uh, no, so it's really the future of where we are going is how can we organize enough data around a process that is repeatable. At the end of the day, there is not an infinite amount of questions and answers that occur, even though people want to believe that, that their interview process is one of a kind. It's not. There's data that can be created around questions, answers, interpretation of those answers, and how that translates into someone's ability. Our goal is to organize enough data around that process to start to create recommendation systems that can help people and companies understand it's not about being a dating app or anything like that. It's about understanding the alignment that um, someone has with an organization and the potential that they may thrive within that organization with a focus on transferable skills. Industries are changing so fast, you have to hire people for their potential, not their history. So back to the point of a resume, we all know resumes are going away. What will they be replaced with? If we cannot understand people's potential, then we do not have the ability to ultimately hire at scale people who we will retain and who can stay within our organizations for a long period of time because their roles may change more rapidly than they have historically. Do you have any great stories of customers using the platform and they come back to you and say, thank you so much, I'm in my dream job? Yes. So, I mean, we've used the product to hire, you know, a number of leaders. Um, and so I think there's examples for that. But the example that stands out to me was an organization that at scale was hiring sales individuals. And it was for attributes and skills that they thought generally came from people who had played or been in a competitive environment, like sports or something like that. And so they were hiring a number of these individuals. Um, when they really stepped back and looked at the attributes that were thriving, they found other personas where this might exist. One of those personas was uh, women returning to the workforce. Completely different than That is so interesting. So they shared similar qualities as an athlete. Correct. Wow. But now if you think through, well, what happens when you take an interviewer who's used to interviewing athletes and asking them certain questions and you introduce them to a new candidate who has not worked for several months and the treatment of that separate, the treatment of the, the candidates is, is different. So once you apply structure and you can actually start to get to the root of what we believe is going to work, we were able to open up opportunities for a whole new subset of candidates. And that is a very powerful story uh, as to how you can, it's not saying we created dream jobs for everyone that was hired, but we did create opportunities that previously did not exist for people. I think that's awesome. So for you personally as a founder and just as Joe, what, when will you feel like you have been successful? Will there be a moment in time or how would you ultimately describe success for you personally? It's a hard question. Yeah, it's a very hard question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think success is a state of mind that comes and goes. It is a place where we can experience it at many points throughout our journey. I don't know that it is a place that you end up and live. I think we see that in in society very regularly, right? People can be financially successful, yet they are still seeking something else, right? And so I think 
success is something that is a state of mind that you always have to work to um, find. And so, yes, I think that as an entrepreneur, you have to find the things that are important to you. And if that is family, if that is community, if that is building a $10 billion company, you're always in pursuit of those things. And they are not all moving targets, but they are all things that um, you have to sacrifice one thing to get another thing. And in the moment, you have to find out, is that giving you um, a state of contentment? And do you feel like when you're content, you feel successful? I would argue that they're generally in the same family. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Is there, we kind of touched on this earlier, but is there any piece of advice out there for fledgling entrepreneurs that you would like to tell them right now? Yes, I would say, <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> um I would say that you're always a fledgling entrepreneur. <laughs> it's just a different, you know. Um, you're just older. Yeah, you're just you get you get better at it. Yeah, you know. I remember a uh, an entrepreneur who who I knew years ago who had gone who was a lot further along the journey than I am, and you know I asked him, "Does it ever get easier?" And he said, "You just get more." accustomed to the pressure, you just start to embrace the environment even more. Um, his, his analogy was, it, it's like chewing on glass, and eventually chewing on glass becomes pleasurable. <laughs> so it was um. not something that <laughs> I would use as a regular analogy, but he was saying that it's painful, but you start to embrace the pain, I guess, is the point of that analogy. And I think that there is an element of, I guess, once you accept the path that you've chosen, then you start to realize that um, that you're not fledgling, that you're not struggling. You are just at a different point of the journey. And the only difference between, I truly believe this, the only difference between entrepreneurs who succeed and entrepreneurs that fail are entrepreneurs that quit and entrepreneurs that don't. That doesn't give you a guaranteed success of a billion-dollar company. That's not the same thing. There's a lot that goes into that. But being a successful entrepreneur, the difference is continuing or stopping. And that is very, very difficult because there are external factors that can stop you. There are things in life that can stop you. And that's where there's an element of... I don't whether you want to call it luck or something else, you have to have a path that doesn't stop you in your tracks. And you also have to have a mindset that doesn't stop you in your tracks. And that's how you'll reach a point of success, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And then we discussed a co-founder, right? How would you, how would you say a co- having a co-founder ultimately attributes or contributes to success? Yeah, so in Interview IA, I have three co-founders. Which okay. So it's myself and three others. I'm majority owner and um, CEO, but it's people that I've worked with for quite some time who have industry expertise, but who have vastly different skill sets. And I think it's, for me, it has been life-changing. 
I am not a solopreneur and I respect people who are solopreneurs. I think that that is a journey that is completely different than an entrepreneur with co-founders. And so, yes, when you can rely on someone else's abilities, when you can be vulnerable and show up um, imperfect and not have to be perfect because we none of us are, um, but have someone else who can fill those gaps, I think that it is, I personally think that it's an advantage, a pretty big one. Was there one thing that stood out to you when you were looking for your co-founders that you were really knew you wanted? For somebody looking right now for a co-founder, is there one thing they should look for? For me personally, it's trust. Uh, a lot of other things can uh, you can develop, but trust is very, very Inherent. important. Inherent. Yeah. yeah. It is. Things will get rocky. Things will get difficult. And if you're honest with yourself and you look around your organization, there will never be a hundred percent of the people that you are sure will go down on this ship if it goes down. You need to look at your co-founder and know that if this ship goes down, I will have someone next to me hanging on to a splinter or a board. And that trust is very, very important. Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Same. I really appreciate it, Emily. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.